Welcome to the Worship Place podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. Jeremiah 32, verse 6 through 15. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anath. For the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So Hanamel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anath, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is thine. And the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field of Hanamel, my uncle's son that was in Anath, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money and the balances. So I took the evidence of that purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Masiah, in the sight of Hanamel, mine uncle's son, in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the, pro- the book of purchase before all Jews that sat in the court of the prisoners. A lot of people here. And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may continue many days. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. God, in Jesus' name, we ask God that you bless this service. God, open my ears and my heart. Help me to hear from you and speak the word that you put on my tongue. God, let this word find good ground to, find, to take root. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So the story finds us uh, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, or excuse me, in Israel. Israel is being attacked right now from Babylon. And Jeremiah is in prison at this time. Um, The reason he's in prison is because he spoke what God told him to speak. God told him to tell the king. He said, because this whole country has made itself idol worshipers. They've hardened themselves out to other gods. They haven't obeyed me. They've, in fact, they've disobeyed me egregiously. And because of this, they're going to go into bondage. The Chaldeans are going to come down and take you into bondage. And they said, you will. He, he told the king, he said, you will stand before the king of Babylon. But if you resist, if you fight back, you'll die. And these words uh, didn't, weren't received um, very effectively with the king. So the king threw him into jail. Um, so while he's in jail, he has his cousin, Hannah Mill, come to him. And God already tells him before, Tommy, because your cousin's going to come to you, and he's going to try to sell you some land. Now, you've got to understand, Jeremiah's in prison, and his cousin's coming to make a deal with him. And it's something that's so surreal. I mean, now, I've visited relatives in jail before. Never in all those visits did I ever try to sell them anything. They were in no position to buy anything. In fact, if they wanted to buy anything, in fact, I think I gave them money so they could buy commissary stuff. 
You know, he had no money. He was in no position to buy it. But the fact that a relative would come to me in jail and say, hey, I got this piece of land if you want to buy it. And, uh, you know, that's just shocking to me. But maybe that was what God used to get Jeremiah's attention to say, hey, this is going to be something important. Pay attention. So then Hannah Mill comes to Jeremiah and he says, hey, I got this parcel of land. You want to buy it? And Jeremiah, he buys it. And in the presence of all these witnesses, all the prison guards, the, the people that were in the courtyard at that time, um, uh, his servant, his cousin, he buys this thing. And then he tells uh, his servant, Baruch, to take the deeds or the evidence of this purchase, uh, a sealed piece of evidence and then an unsealed piece of evidence. Um, and from what I understand, these are uh, equivalent to uh, a certified letter. So whenever someone, you know, whenever you uh, want to go apply for a college, they want a certified uh, transcript of your high school. And it's got to be the one that is unsealed, or excuse me, that is sealed, unopened. Um, and then you have the unsealed one that's the one you can reference and kind of show off. That way people know that it's for real. And he took both of these copies, gave them to a servant, and said, go put them in earthen vessels that they may continue many days. See, like I said, Jeremiah is in prison. This is not a good buy. This is a horrible buy. Because not only is he in prison, but he's also got Babylon knocking at their gates. Like they had already begun the siege on Israel at the time of this story here. But furthermore, Jeremiah is not in a position to do anything on his own. Jeremiah is in jail. Jeremiah is not his own person. He doesn't keep his own schedule. And... This is, like I said, not a good buy. So not only does he face maybe never coming out of jail, but he also faces the fact that if he comes out of jail, he may not have land to return to because Babylon may take over. So he was captive in his own land, and then he's captive by other people at the time. Uh, and it's crazy how these problems, because you think about it, this was not Jeremiah's problem. All right, Problems seem to find you sometimes. And that's exactly what happened to Jeremiah. Uh, in my job, I'm a supervisor, uh, and I supervise a squad, and then right underneath me I have a corporal. And when I'm there, I run the squad, and when I'm not there, my corporal runs a squad. And we've got that throughout the entire city. And every now and then, both me and my corporal will be gone, and so we'll have to get someone else to come in. Well, this happened to a buddy of mine who was also a sergeant for another squad. Him and his corporal were going to be off at the same time. So he calls me up, and he goes, hey, can I have your corporal come supervise my squad while we're gone? And I said, okay, what dates? And he goes, um, it's such and such dates. And I said, oh, well, I'm actually off, so my corporal's got to run my squad on that day. And so he's, oh, I'll have some puff, and he hangs up, calls me back the next day, and he goes, well, Downey, I solved your problem. <laughs> I was like, my problem? <laughs> Say my problem, it's your problem. But... Things like that happen to us where we find ourselves in situations, stuff that we didn't cause, that we didn't ask for. Jeremiah is doing the work of God. He's being obedient to God. And he finds himself in a heap of trouble. Um, and this happens a couple times to him, poor guy. But he's in jail. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many have actually been to jail before. No hands, please. Um, but let me give you a little rundown of what it's like in jail. Uh, five o'clock, your day starts out. They start making breakfast. 
About 5.30, they pass it out. You have a half hour to complete your breakfast and then turn the trays back over to the prison guards. You don't get to choose the menu options. There's no Western omelet. There's no French toast. They bring out what's called block bread. They call it block bread because it's in the shape of a block. And they say the blueberry one is the best. I don't know. I'll take the word for it. You maybe get some juice, maybe a cup of water. <clears throat> it just kind of all depends. Um, then you stay in your cell 24, excuse me, 23 hours out of the day. For one hour a day, you get to come out of your cell, mosey around, talk to the other prisoners, take a shower, call people. They actually give you some tablets sometimes that you can FaceTime your relatives, video chat, whatever. Um, but then after that hour's done, back to the cell. And you may share this cell with someone else. You may be by yourself. You don't know. Um, you know, the jailers have ultimate authority over you in that jail. You know, I've heard plenty of people going in. They're like, I know my rights. They're like, you ain't got rights in here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it may not be completely true, but it's, it's pretty close. I mean, you, you don't have any say over what you're doing or what's going on in your world at that time. You are at the mercy of prison guards. Um, and then they have segregation. And what that is, is if you are uh, especially violent or you have done something wrong, you stay in a cell all by yourself all day. Then you get to come out for your hour, but when you come out, you're completely shackled. You have shackles on your feet. You have a chain that goes around your waist. You have handcuffs that go through those chains. And you're allowed to wander around in a certain area for an hour. This is when you can shower and do all your other stuff out there. But you don't get a tablet. You can't FaceTime. you got a phone. That's about it. And you don't get to talk to anyone else. Your life is completely run by somebody else. Lunch you have at 12. Dinner you have at 5.30. Again, there's no options. You just get whatever they give you. Get what you get and don't make a fit. That's what they say. Um, you're basically back to being a child at this point. And it's, it's interesting, to, it's notable to say this because this is exact, Jeremiah had no control over his life at this moment. He was put into a tailspin for doing what was right. You know, there's people here today in this very audience that are in a situation, they're in a predicament in their life that they, had, they didn't ask for, they didn't do anything wrong to deserve it, but yet you, all of a sudden life has presented you with these, uh, this, this prison, as it were. That you aren't in control of your own self. You aren't in control of your next option. It's all being decided for you. So Jeremiah is in this prison. He sells, excuse me, he buys the land from Hanamel. Um, and the reason why I think that he was put into jail on this certain occasion is because now he has an audience. He has witnesses. He's got people that are watching that can testify, this is what happened, this is what I've seen. And now they can go tell it to other people. And uh, he, gives, he gets these deeds, he gives them to Hanamel, and Hanamel goes and puts them in clay jars. Now, the one thing I started wondering about when I read this is why clay jars? You know, I, first of all, I don't, I don't know if anyone has any of those clay jars at the house, the decorative ones. I don't like them. I hate touching them. I, I, they break too easy. I think the most they're good for is to plant stuff in and put them in another decorative pot, and that's about it, or paint on them, paint a face or something like that. They're not, they're not pretty. They're fragile, and they're ugly. Um, and 
but apparently they're pretty good protectors from the elements, from the earth, uh, moisture, from the wind. Uh, and I believe that's why he maybe put them in there. Maybe uh, Jeremiah put them in these or had them put into these pots so that they could be buried, so that they could be put into a cave, uh, somewhere to hide them until the day that he got out. Because you got to understand, he wanted them to continue many days because Jeremiah is saying, okay, I know this right now is being used by God, but when I get out of this jail, when I have all this stuff blow over, when, is, when Israel has come out of captivity, I've got something to come home to. I've got a purchase. I've got a promise. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 compares us to earthen jars. Paul said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God calls us earthen vessels. God puts this powerful Holy Ghost in us. God uses us to lay hands on the sick. Right? These little clay jars, these little vessels here. Why? Because we're great? No. Because we're strong? No. It's because we're fragile. And it's because we're not palatable to the eye, I guess you can say. We're not eye candy to God. Not in our own sin, not in our flesh. But God put His Spirit into us. God uses us, these insignificant mortals, to get the glory. Because all of heaven and all of earth looks down and says, these people can't even survive on their own. But yet they're doing miracles, yet they're doing signs, they're succeeding. I don't know how they're beating the spiritual realm, but they're surviving every day. It's got to be God. That's our purpose, is to give God the glory. When people see what you're going through and the trials that are trying to overcome you and how you've been knocked down so many times but you keep getting back up, it's to give glory to God. There's a purpose for your trial. There's a purpose for your prison. Proverbs 3 and 3 says, Let not mercy or truth forsake thee. Bind them about your neck and write them upon the table of your heart. What, are pro what is mercy and truth? They're promises. They're promises from God. And when you first read the scripture, it looks like these are like pets that you got to put on a leash or else they're going to run off. But they're not. God's promises are not running from you. But how many have lost their keys before? How many have lost their phone? Was it the first thing you said? I can't believe those keys ran off again. No. I can't believe my phone just wandered off again. I've got to put an air tag on it or something. No. The problem doesn't lie with the, the valuable item. The, the problem lies with us. We get so distracted by things going on around us that we lose what's valuable. We lose the very thing that's been given us to protect and to take care of. It's not on that, the problem's not on that end. The problem's right here. And so the Bible says you need to take these promises and bind them around your neck. I don't know if you've ever been horse collar, but the reason it says neck, because you ain't going anywhere without your neck. You might be able to run off without an arm or something like that, but you ain't going anywhere without your neck. It's valuable. You've got to tie the promises of God to the most valuable part of you so that it's ever before you. Don't let it forsake you. Don't let it run off and leave you wondering where did everything go. If God said it, it's going to come to pass. Isaiah 55, verse 10 through 11 says, For as rain cometh down, and snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, 
that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return void, but it shall accomplish that which I, I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God is using the analogy of agriculture. He does that a lot. And he's showing that, hey, I send rain down, but it's not in vain. It's not rain just so I can make you miserable and ruin your picnic plants. No. It's rain and it's snow for a purpose. And it's for the seed that's been planted. Right? Now, my wife just started a garden out back. And um, she knows I love watermelons. I love watermelons. She planted this thing about three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. I still don't have any watermelons. So what do I do? Do I go out there and stomp on the plants? No. I dig them up? Do I throw something on them and say, these stupid things, they'll never grow? That's what we do with the promises of God that aren't instant. you got to give these things time. And I know that there are promises that God gives. There are miracles right now that God gives right now. I don't deny we've seen them here in this church. I've experienced them in my life. But then there's promises that take a moment. They take maybe a couple years. They take time to cultivate. But God said, if I said it and I sent it to you, it's not going to return to me unaffecting anyone. It's not going to return to me not having worked. If God gave you a promise of healing, he's going to heal you. If God gave you the promise of saving your loved ones, he's going to save them. It might not be right when you want it, but it's going to happen because God's word is not void. Thank you, Jesus. We get so excited for the right now miracles and the promises, but that's not what God does all the time. And I think that we... We get that image because we, that's, the, that's the headliners. Whenever someone comes to preach, they talk about instantly the goiter left their head and their ear grew and all this stuff. All right? But we don't, that's all we hear about. So therefore, we don't hear about the other stuff that takes a little time. Back in November, I was having some health issues. And um, I thought, I, I was like, man, I need glasses. I couldn't see nothing. Had some other stuff going on. My mouth was always dry. And, um, I didn't know what was going on. And, uh, I mean, my, I, my vision got really bad. Like, I couldn't see past this light here. And uh, it was, it was nerve-wracking. I had to go on a call with an arm subject at a, at a club. And all I knew was he had a red shirt on. And I was <laughs> like, oh, God, please help me now. There's like five red shirts out here. I can't see nothing. I see men's trees. It looked like a, like a washed-out painting. That's what it looked like. It was, oh, it was scary. It was scary. And um, I did what you're not supposed to do. I uh, put my symptoms into Google. And um, they told me I was dying. And, um, but before that, they said, you've got type 2 diabetes. And I was like, forget that. I don't have that. Um, well, so uh, right before work that night, I went to a paramedic bay. And um, I asked them if they could prick my finger. Let's test my sugar, and they did. And um, it came up as a 465. And I was like, was that good? <laughs> and the paramedics was like, wow. I was like, is that, what's going on? What's, the, you know, what's, what's normal? And he says, well, let me put it like this way. We ran a call, and a person was unconscious with a sugar level of like over 500. So you weren't, I was less than 100 away from them being unconscious, or from me being unconscious, I guess. I don't know. 
And, um, excuse me. And so uh, I went to the hospital immediately, um, and they ended up diagnosing me with type 2 diabetes. And I was like, what in the world? I mean, I know I got a sweet tooth, but I didn't know it was that bad, you know? And um, I, I sat there, and, and the reason why this is no, because we got people in here with the same disease. We got people in here with other chronic illnesses. But what got me was at that time, our church has been going through this, this I, I don't want to say a movement, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, this, this miracle phase, we're praying for everyone and everything we can. I mean, if I saw you limping, I was over there praying for you, you know. And it, it just, it hit me whenever this happened. I was like, how in the world can I continue to pray for people when I've got a chronic disease like this? Why hasn't God healed me? And I prayed and I got prayed for and still nothing happened. I still, right now it's still in me to this day. And I'm like, God, I don't know what's going on. How in the world can I pray for the people to be healed when I have this sickness in me? And God showed me. Just like Jeremiah, he gave Jeremiah a promise. And he wrote it down. And he said, put it in this jar. Because it's got to survive for many days. Here's what you understand. is Jeremiah knew that he was not going to come out of this bondage. He knew it. He knew if he got out of jail, he still had an invading army that was going to take him and all his family captive. He knew he was not going to get the promise that God gave him. But he hid it, and he claimed it, and I can see him in the jail cell repeating over and over, that's my property over there. I'm coming back to it. God said it's mine. It's going to happen. So I repeated to myself, by his stripes, I'm healed. My God's benefits are amazing. He heals my diseases. He cleanses all my iniquities. I'm holding on to the promise. I'm telling you right now, I know someone in this place has been fighting with doubt. The enemy is coming over your mind telling you that you haven't got the healing yet, so you'll never get it. It's a lie. You keep telling yourself, I've got the healing. I've got the promise. God said it. His word does not return void to me. Hallelujah. 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 You need to bind that promise around the most valuable part of you and look at it every day and say, it's mine. It's mine. Hallelujah. When we bought our first house, we didn't have the money to buy it. In fact, I remember praying, God, we've got to do some of this money before we sign these papers. But before that, we didn't know that our credit was going to be good enough to buy this house. It was a nice place. We lived there for like eight years. It's amazing. But Carisha, she printed out a picture of the house, and then the property sheet, and then the, the, the lot lines, or the, the property lines, the lot lines. Um, and she put it on our wall in our bedroom. So every day when we went in there, whenever we woke up, the first thing we see when we wake up is that property. And we claimed it. And it was ever before our eyes until it became a reality. That's holding on to the promise. That's claiming it. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews 11 is the chapter of faith, and it talks about all the people that believed 
for things than they got it. But in verse 13, it talks about a different group of people. It says, all these died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. These people believed it so much that even though they never received it, they held on it to their dying breath. What if the answer is not in receiving what you want? What if the process is more valuable than the product? I remember as a kid climbing trees, you know, it was fun climbing, and I got to the top, and I was like, what do I do now? You know, we, we have all these ideas that once we get to where we think we want to go, that that's it. That will be the height of it. We'll just live in just, you know, in just awe of that moment, and just, you know, cloud nine. And that's not the case. We're humans. We want more. And what if the very thing that's keeping you saved is that faith in the end product. That's what kept these people. And they may not have gotten what they wanted here on earth at that time, but they received a greater reward, and it's what preserved them. Hmm. But... That obviously is not always the case, right? We're going to receive what God told us. We're going to get it. But what I'm trying to emphasize here is that don't be so quick to think that because I haven't got what I want yet or what I've been praying for that it's not working because that's not the case. Sometimes you just got to keep praying. Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 10 Bookmarked it here. Call me Mr. Technology today. Um, I just got a couple of scriptures here. So this is when Ezekiel is taken to a valley of dry bones. And God tells him to prophesy to the bones. And God told him, he said, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. So Ezekiel stands on the edge of this cliff, and he speaks to these dry bones, and he speaks exactly what God tells him. Behold, I will cause you to breath to enter you, and you shall live. And it says, and when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above. But there was no breath in them. Did God lie? Because God told him, he said, I will put breath in them. And Ezekiel did exactly what God said, but there was no breath. But God told him to prophesy again, this time to the wind. And this time when it happened, breath entered into these unliving souls. And they came to life. You see, sometimes you just got to keep praying. You got to keep praying. God's word is not a lie. 
God doesn't make empty promises. Sometimes you got to pray. Maybe you got to pray a different way. This time Ezekiel had to prophesy to the wind. He didn't do that the first time. The first time he prophesied to the bodies. This time he prophesied to the wind. Sometimes you've got to pray in different ways. Sometimes you've got to approach God different ways to get the answer that you're looking for. But the important thing is don't give up. Don't stop the prayer just because you're not seeing results. Daniel was praying to the angel, or excuse me, he was praying for a move of God, and the angel came to him. 21 days later, he was like, I won't have been here, but so I was taking care of business on the other side over here. They, God hears your prayers. Don't give up. Don't give up what God has promised you. Psalms 91 Verse 15, that whole chapter is about God delivering his people. It's talking about the, 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 the plague won't come nigh your dwelling, and only with your eyes will behold the destruction of the wicked, and, and, and God's going to hide you in the shadow of the wing. And all this stuff, it makes it seem like we're going to be preserved from problems. But when it gets to verse 15, it says, And he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. And I would deliver and honor him. So the whole chapter is talking about God keeping you out of trouble. But then this one verse says, I'll be with him in trouble. What it means is simply this. That we don't get a free pass from problems. We don't get to just say that's not my issue right now. Or, and, and, and say here's my get out of jail free card. And I don't have to go through the trial. I don't have to go through the sickness. I don't have to go through the, 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 the problems at my house. and Stuff that I didn't cause. No, but God promises in your problems, in your trouble, I'm going to be there. The psalmist talks about the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, that valley of the shadow of death, they, they believe that's a real place. In fact, they think that that's the exact location where the story of the Good Samaritan took place. And this place was, it, it's, it's a valley. There's plenty of hiding places. There's lots of robbers, thieves, uh, animals, all this stuff. And so the psalmist is saying, even though I'm walking through this dangerous place, what gives me comfort is your rod and your staff. And here's the thing. I always thought that the rod and staff phrase was just re-emphasizing that he had a stick, you know. But no, they're actually two different things. The rod is a shorter stick with a club-like end. And it's for warding off attackers, wild animals, thieves, whatever you got. But then the staff, the staff is like the little Bo Peep, little curvy, little candy cane looking thing. All right? And that's to guide the sheep, to keep them on the path, to, you know, make sure they don't uh, wander off too far. If they, you know, get stuck in something like a, a ditch or uh, some bushes, that little curved end is to pull them out. And so what gave the psalmist uh, comfort was this, that no matter what I get myself into, no matter who attacks me, you've got an answer for it, God. You've got a rod to protect me. You've got a staff to pull me out of my dumb decisions. And you've got a staff to guide me in my way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So what am I trying to say with all this? I know it seems like I'm kind of all over the place, but here's, here's the point that I'm trying to drive home. Jeremiah was in a no position. And 
I've asked Kristen to play a song for us. I know we normally don't do it on Wednesday night, but I just had it in my heart. And I feel like, I feel like she needs to play it. But Jeremiah, he's in a bad spot. He's looking prison. He's looking sentences. He's looking war in the face. And God already told him, you're not coming through this. Y'all are not going to win the battle here. Everyone in this land is going into captivity. But I promise. I promise once it's done. That you've got a promise to come home to. I want you to take this valuable evidence. That's what the Bible calls it. They call it evidence. And I want you to preserve it because it's got to last a while. It's got to last a while. You're not going to get out of your situation overnight. If your house is in foreclosure, you may not get that house back. But my God said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen my seed out begging for bread. You may have to go through some treatments and some sickness. But my God has promised that by His stripes we were healed. You might have some loved ones that aren't serving God. But my Bible says that God knows how to keep that which has been committed to Him. Come on, spouses, if you have an unsaved loved one, your very sanctification sanctifies them. It's in the Word. You grab that and you tie it around your neck. You put it in this earthen jar called your heart and your soul. And you hold on to it. And you say it over and over again. You say it until you have hope. You say it until you can see it. You put it before you. Come on. And, and, and Jacob, he took those goats and he tied them to a, a, a limb. And he set their face to look at a spotted uh, branch until they started growing spots until their offspring started having spots. You set your jaw to what God told you is true and you don't let anyone tell you anything different. Don't let your mind and your doubts be stronger to God. Casting down every high thought, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's not just spirits coming at you and and tormenting you. That's thoughts, wayward thoughts that you're supposed to take into captivity. Take them into captivity. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. At the end of all of this, Jeremiah, with all this in mind, he declares in front of everybody who's looking at him like he's a lunatic. He says, Ah, Lord God, Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by Thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee how can you say that Jeremiah you just told us we're all going into captivity I know but my God's great and he doesn't lie these altars are open I want people to come up here they've got something that's been weighing on their mind that they don't know what God's doing God you promised me that you would take care of this but I haven't seen any results God, you promised me that I would be taken care of. But I've got letters from the bank saying they're about to take everything I own. Lord, you promised me 
that you would bring back the lost sheep of Israel. But I still have lost loved ones. His promise still stands. His promise still stands. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, God. I know you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through now, but it's the process. God's making you stronger. God's making you stronger. He's showing you off right now to every person that doubted you. Saying, look what this earthen vessel did because I put my treasure in them. Walking around these walls 